Hello, this is Yara Stark, and welcome to the so far unnamed uh, Walter Haas and Yara Stark radio show. Hello, Walter, are you there? G'day, Yara. Yes, yes, I am. I have to say, I'm a little bit disappointed with our audience. Uh, I was just checking the numbers. We, we had a thousand people download our last episode from you know the seven days since we've recorded it. And I haven't had one bit of feedback from you listeners on a name for our show, which is, you know, a little bit upsetting. So I'm, I'm putting an onus out there that Walter and I need a name for this show. So go to my blog and leave a comment suggesting a name. That would be very much appreciated. Well, Yarrow, that just could be a slap in the face for us uh, saying, you know, get off your ass and uh, come up with a name yourself. Well, we'll, we'll try. I mean, it, the Walter and Yarrow show, it sounds a bit vaudeville <laughs> for my liking, so I need to get some funny theme music. Uh, but anyway, I should probably say for those who haven't heard the Walter and Yarrow show before, uh, we're doing a little a weekly podcast, just a discussion, talking about all things internet business and technology and entrepreneurship, uh, mainly as a way to keep the conversation going between two guys and uh, all of our listeners who are interested in these things and you know, we're all working on projects together so we can hold each other accountable. We can talk about what we're doing outside of the projects that people will probably know about and just how things are going in general. So, Walter, how are things going in general? Yeah, things are going pretty well. Um, now, when I say pretty well, I mean in terms of kickspy.com. That's, that's my latest project. Uh, to bring everyone up to speed, the last thing I did on kickspy was a bunch of... Uh, mathematics and data analysis. Basically, I want to try and predict how a Kickstarter campaign is going to go, how it's going to end up right at the end from anywhere throughout the campaign. So it'll obviously be less accurate at the start, but then get more and more accurate. And I've managed to get it to the point where for one quarter of all the projects on Kickstarter right now, my projections are almost spot on, like plus or minus 10%. So my projections are effectively a straight line, start to finish, and they end up roughly where the project's going to end up. So that's that's what I've been doing. How, how would how would someone like what what's the point of that? Obviously, it's cool to watch, but how does that come into play from a practical standpoint? Well, with uh, with Kickstarter projects, there are a number of ways that funding can progress, and usually the the most common is you get a bunch of backers right at the start. So on the first one or two days, you get a lot of people coming in. And then throughout your 30-day campaign, you get a few stragglers, you know, nothing much. And then right at the end, you get a big burst of backers again. So actually predicting what you're going to get um, anyway through, anywhere throughout that campaign is a bit tricky. So if you can see roughly how your project compares to other projects through this sort of trend that I've developed, then you can see, you know, should you really be uh, stressed that you haven't got that many backers yet? You know, are you only 50% in, you know, and, and have like 10 days to go? Mm -hmm. You might be freaking out. But uh, if you can see that most projects on Kickstarter are roughly where you are and they do end up meeting their goal, then, you know, you can't relax, but you wouldn't be you know, you don't necessarily have to be as stressed. You still need to go out and ask your backers to get support for you, you know, try and get media at the last minute because, you know, if you relax, then you won't hit your goal. But uh, it doesn't mean that, you know, you're doomed, mm. your project's not going to fund, you know, things like that that project backers tend to 
think. It's uncanny how similar that all sounds to what uh, I've been involved with, with product launches, selling information products over the last sort of five or six years. I remember talking to uh, Gideon Shalwick when we were doing our, I think it was our first ever Become a Blogger launch. And at, at that point, I'd already done, I think, two or three launches for Blog Mastermind and my membership site mastermind program. And exactly like you just described, it's usually not a 30-day campaign. It's closer to two weeks. But mm -hmm. you'll have that same thing where you'll have a pre-launch period, though that's probably the slightly different thing here is that you've got a week before you even can take any money and you're releasing all this information and then you're at that point you're counting how many people opt into your email list and then from that point you're then opening the doors and usually there will be a 24-hour immediate burst of people who join and then it really drops off incredibly and then in the last 24 hours it's when in fact I remember the first few launches I got about 25 to 50 percent of my members in that last 24-hour period there are even a few where we uh, more than doubled the amount we had in that 24 hours up to, up to that point before it so I actually started doing uh, maybe not quite as mathematically accurate predictions as you're working on Walter <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> given now to clarify here I'm, I'm good in English like I got an A, a in high school English <laughs> Walter was like the top of his math class in university <laughs> and you did what was your degree again Walter uh, well I was top of both of my maths and uh, programming courses in, so, yes. in university as well, university, not, not high yes. school. Okay. Well, and high school. Well, yeah, okay, whatever. All right, whatever. <laughs> so I'm officially a geek. You're not even geek. You're like a math genius, which is, you know, I, we really shouldn't even be friends, to be, to be honest, Walter. But um, I that, that's true. You're way too cool for me. Right? <laughs> exactly. Thank you, Walter. Thank you. Finally acknowledge that. <laughs> um, but I hated maths in high school. So, you know, the fact that we can speak the same language is impressive. Um, but, yeah, I actually did some... Basically, I guess you might call them gut feel predictions on the numbers we would get. And I could do it very much at the start once I'd seen how many opt-ins we got to our, our list, our pre-launch list. Because what would happen is you might get you know 5,000 people joining a newsletter and you'd know 10% of those will actually go through and you know engage with the content you're releasing, the pre-release stuff, and then hit the sales page. And then you know on the sales page you're going to get like a... a a half percent to a two percent conversion rate so you could start getting a feel and you often would know if you've got maybe about 50 people by the time you're uh, halfway through you're probably going to get somewhere over 100 when you reach the end of it and it was always amazing how accurate it would be like every single time even though you'd be like oh my god we've got no members that last 24 hours you just suddenly feel great. It's an absolute roller coaster, to be honest, because you feel amazing, then you feel crap, and you feel amazing, and then the refunds come in, and you feel crap. So it's mm -hmm. uh, it's quite a roller coaster. So it's something you get used to as uh, doing launches. Um, and actually, the, what I just wrote about in a, a blog post, and I put, I'm putting my newsletter out this, uh, tonight, linking back to the blog post about the comparison between a Kickstarter campaign launch and uh, an information product launch. It's I think it's the exact same thing. So you know, we're talking about human psychology. Uh, what I find impressive about Kickstarter is the fact that it's a 30-day campaign, which that's a long time. Like to maintain momentum for 30 days in, in a distracted internet, that's difficult. And see, they don't maintain that same level of attention for 30 days. That's why you do get the spikes at the start and at the end. Actually, there's a very good project on there at the moment. That's a good example of attention um, called Screwing Reinvented. 
and it, it has has a lot of puns. But the uh, the premise is he's building a new screw, so you know, a deck screw oh, okay. for building. <laughs> Very clever. But the video is hilarious. Uh, if if you want to check it out, um, just type in go to kickspy.com, hit search, and type in "screwing reinvented." It's the most hilarious four minutes of any Kickstarter campaign I've ever seen. But uh, his video has obviously been picked up by a different source every other day because you can see huge spikes in his funding like every day and then it'll be flat and then you'll see another huge spike. So, you know, 20, 30 grand in a 24-hour period and then, you know, nothing over a few days. Mm. So it's his project is definitely, you know, spike after spike attention after new source mm. attention based. It gives us the equivalent of, of me getting a, an affiliate with a big list to promote every single day. That's exactly right, yeah. yeah. So they're getting like a, a news publication writing about them or uh, I don't know what else do you do with the Kickstarter campaign. You're getting other websites just to link and talk about you. I presume that's that's it. So Yeah, pretty much. But you know, the other thing that um, is brilliant with Kickstarter, which is why I love Kickstarter, um, when you're launching a new product, for example, how useful would it have been to see every other similar product launched, what steps they went through, how they went through it, um, you know, see the number of signups they got. You know, that's, that's probably pretty hard with uh, traditional internet marketing. But with the Kickstarter campaign, you've got a resource of 100 to 115,000 past projects that you can research and see what they did. You can see the media attention they got, and you can use that, all that information to base your marketing strategy, mm. your entire launch strategy on, which is immensely useful. It is, and it's what I find interesting about it is the d- diversity of projects as well. I mean, there's, I guess that's a, a problem in some regards because you're comparing data about a different subject to necessarily what you're doing. Uh, but... Like you said, the the breadth of data there is impressive because it's all being done on one platform. It's like as if every single internet marketer decided to launch all through one software platform, uh, which you know certain people are starting to, to realize the power of that. I know lead pages. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, Walter, but it's uh, Clay Collins has a platform that allows you to do opt-in and landing forms. Mm-hmm. And there's two ways of using it. You can use it uh, a hosted solution or um, you can use their service. So on your servers or their service. And when you use their service, it collects all the opt-in data. So it's basically figuring out which of these landing page designs are working best, um, you know, which headlines are working best. And you can look at that data as a user of the service to figure out you know, which ones you want to test. Now, of course, the the issue, and you will know this as a statistician, is you can't correlate someone selling product X using this design as a guarantee your product will do as well with that design because there's too many variables that influence whether a person opts in or not, especially traffic sources. That's, I think, the number one thing. Um, But it's still a guide. It's definitely something helpful. It's a good guide, but you said the magic word, which is correlate. Sometimes you can (laughs) see a relationship between what? Look at me, mathematics, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, sometimes you can see a relationship between you know, what someone does and the results they get. And it might be correlated, which means there is a relationship, but you don't know which way the relationship goes. Maybe, the, um, maybe you, know, you go to an affiliate and they send out an email and then you get, uh, and, and you won't get any responses. But then later on, 
all those people slowly come in because they see your ads. So you could say there's a correlation between the ad and you know the opt-ins, but it was really a combination of two things. So mm. there's no definite one-to-one -one cause and effect happening there. Which brings me to an obvious question, Walter, and, and let's make this relevant because I know you love Kickstarter and we can <laughs> keep going back to those campaigns. Mm -hmm. um, but hold on, I have a, a person who's trying to get into my litter box. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Walter, say something smart while I go let him in. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> right. I might talk about the uh, my weekly review. So last week I I reviewed as I do every week on uh, the tasks I got done for that week, and for this week I was planning to just just keep going. Uh, so so for example, I had a, a whole ton of bugs that Anna I needed Mac. to fix. Very good, very good. So <laughs> I'm just talking about my weekly review. Um, yeah, basically I had a whole bunch of bugs I needed to fix for Kickspy, and I was going to copy my to-dos that I didn't get done for last week into this week, but I did a bit of uh, bit of time and estimation, and I figured that would probably take two to three weeks to finish, and that wasn't the best use of my time. So instead, I scanned through all of my tasks, picked out the the most critical ones, put them up the top. It's about four hours, and then I picked the most important tasks. You know, the sort of tasks that get you more users, more views, and I just. That's the next thing I'm working on. So all those critical bug fixes, the most critical ones will get done. The others that I can live with for three to four weeks, they'll, they'll get pushed down. Which is a perfect segue back into my previous question that I was saying before the uh, mailman rudely interrupted me there. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. The, uh, we're going back to Kickstarter and we were talking about correlations of data. And this is for any form of statistical testing, especially when you've got a large pool of data, like with lead pages and all that information and Kickstarter and, and anything where you're getting this data. Like you said, it's difficult to know where the correlation is coming from, but obviously people who test things have to have a direction uh, and they make uh, assumptions that certain things will work better and they go and test. And this is like you just said with your what, the work you just did. You know, you decided that these things are more important. There's an 80-20 rule. There's a, a smaller thing that will give you a much bigger reward or it's more important on the, the big picture of what you're trying to do and you, you go in that direction, how can you know that when you're getting something as big as a Kickstarter campaign where there's so many potential promotions you can do? And this is the same thing for me doing an information product launch. Like if someone asked me this question, I would say, well, you know what? At the end of the day, a, a JV partner, someone who sends an email to their list giving an implied recommendation for what you're doing, if they have a large enough list and a relationship with those people, is always going to be a more powerful source of traffic and really the lowest hanging fruit of marketing for an information product launch. So I should be going out and chasing JV partners um, all the time because that's where I'm going to get the highest return on my investment. With all this data, Walter, how do you make a decision on what's the thing you should be, uh, I guess, going after or, or testing first? Well, it's really hard to test media for a Kickstarter campaign because usually you have to prepare everything up front and then you just go for it. It's, it's basically a full-time job for a month. Um, Tim Ferriss has a very good write-up on hacking Kickstarter. If you Google that, Tim Ferriss hacking Kickstarter, um, he actually recommends to look at every single blog and news site in your niche for your Kickstarter product and then you know, whittling them down to the ones that are the most targeted for your product and then just going after those. Uh, because 
you'll you'll spend too long chasing too many people. So just just go for the ones that are the most relevant to you know your project. Um, otherwise, is, yeah, I was going to say, which is like targeting a certain JV partner who has the perfect list for your product. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. But um, otherwise, the the other thing you can do is just research where every other Kickstarter that was similar to yours, where they got media attention, and then beautiful thing with Kickstarter is you can actually contact the project owners themselves. So, and, and most are quite happy to share, you know, what they've learned running their own Kickstarter. So if you just ask them, um, you know, out of these sites, I notice you got media attention, which ones work the best. A lot of them will be happy to tell you. Mm. So, you know, that's a good way of not so much testing, but um, just short circuiting the learning you have to do. Okay. So, you were just talking about what you did last week, or how you changed your um, what you were, what you decided to do, and did something else, right? Mm -hmm. Yep, that's right. Great. Uh, just a quick recap for what I did, so we can get this in and, and move on to other topics too. Uh, I this is, I guess, the <laughs> deadlines. You know, I, I try not to have too many deadlines in my life, but there is one aspect of what I do that always gives me a deadline. If you do do a product launch, which involves some sort of program that you build with people as they go through it, then you have to stay one step ahead of them. So five months ago, <laughs> I released the EJ Insider Interviews Club, which my blog readers will be well and truly aware of, is an, a club where I do brand new interviews with uh, million dollar bloggers, information marketers, and, and, and people doing amazing things online, entrepreneurs. And when I released it, I had the first couple of uh, interviews done as well as all the bonus materials, but I maintain the new content by recording interview and, and doing it as my first group of members went through. It wasn't, it's not a huge group. I think I ended up getting 70 people, something like that in this first group going through, but obviously they're paying me money. I want to create a good product. So uh, for me, the actual biggest job is writing the action plans, which I do once a month. So that was due today. Uh, I finished that um, over the weekend. So that's what I spend a bit of time on writing the action plan, which I love. They're these things where I find the leverage points in the people I interview. And this month was Jesse Forrest and um, Jeff Salzenstein. And Jeff Salzenstein is a ex top 100 professional tennis player. And Jesse Forrest is a friend from Sydney who used to be part of a, a daytime dating business where these guys would go and approach girls on the streets and secretly record their conversations then after the conversation ask if they're okay with releasing that information to guys to help them go and talk to girls which proved really popular when they first released those videos on youtube they were some of the first people to do it and that's jesse forrest and, and alex colson so it was interesting to compare an ex-professional tennis player and a guy who, who's Jesse's really a copywriter, to be absolutely honest of what his core strength is, but he was the, the, the marketer slash copywriter behind this dating business. And sort of see how these guys get leverage um, because it's, you know, they're, they're, they're actually doing the same thing. They both sell information products online, but they have completely different backgrounds and they're doing it in very different markets. So it, it's interesting to compare things, but I'm not going to spoil the leverage points because that's for my people in my my product that that will be going out as action plan five today so or over the next few weeks depending on where you are in the program so i was doing that plus i actually ended up this is something i actually love to talk to you about walter because this is something 
we had with cranky ads um i wrote it was weird it ended up growing i thought it'd be a thousand word article but almost clocked four thousand words on thursday last week you might have seen it on ej about facebook potentially having a better ad platform than google now has with uh you know facebook's advertising and if you remember when we were looking at cranky ads in fact well let me ask walter did you read the article it was a big one so uh, I can't think of it off the top of my head, so, okay, no. so well, let's say no. <sighs> Disappointed. That's all right. It only came out on Friday, so I, I, I forgive you. Um, but if you remember when we were working on Cranky Ads, especially when we looked at those things about um, pivoting potentially, and we were having a massive brainstorming session about uh, yes. what can we do to basically fix the problem of advertising, which is no one comes to a site to see advertising, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I'll let people read the article for my whole discussion of that. But the one thing that uh, I think would be interesting with me and Walter here is we looked at Facebook and we know that Facebook's got that great advertising platform now, which is very social graph based. So they're looking at what you like on Facebook, who you're friends with, what you put as your statuses. Are you married, not married, single in a relationship, age, demographics? They've got a stupid amount of social graph information about you from which advertisers can tap into. And that's so much more powerful than just a contextual word match, which Google uses for its advertising platform. And we know how big Google is and you know they make so much money, but Facebook actually has better data, I believe, than uh, Google does. And one of the biggest things I talked about in the article was Facebook eventually rolling out an AdSense-like service where you can put Facebook ads on your blog, on your website, and get paid per click the same way Google's AdSense works. But Facebook will know because, like I'm sure right now, Walter, your browser is logged into Facebook, and mine is, Mm -hmm. that um, they have all this data about me. So if I go visit kickspy.com and you're using Facebook's advertising system, it will put up ads specifically related to me personally and potentially your site as well. So it's combining contextual with social graph. And I think that, you know, it's the next step in, in advertising. And that could potentially mean Facebook is a, potentially has a better platform than Google. Whether or not they become a bigger company than Google, I don't know. Um, but I'm investing in them. Ooh, very nice. <laughs> I believe in Facebook. And, you know, their stock is worth $50 right now. And Google is worth almost $700 right now. That's a big difference. So, so is it really a matter of budget, Yara? Sorry? Is it really a matter of budget? Well, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just, uh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm throwing this out there. Obviously, that one of the things I did want to talk about was... Um, investing money so this could be another segue here um do you have you invested in stocks before walter yeah yeah a lot i used to do day trading for quite a while actually and being a statistician and mathematician i i did all the analytics and um, algorithms and I, i came up with an algorithm that continuously made uh money every year but uh, with a bit of a downturn so that kind of bit me at the butt when i started leveraging and borrowing money basically to to invest and then even though the algorithm would have made some money there was a bit of a downturn i had to sell all my shares and yeah so i lost a bit of money before the shares went mm-hmm. back up and you know would have made my money back so you just went a little too far outside of your your risk portfolio basically like you couldn't handle a downturn to ride it back up. 
Well, it, it was in my portfolio according to the the previous 10 years worth of trends, but um, the downturn actually went for 20% larger than I'd accounted for. Mm. It went back up. but um, What was that? Was that GFC or was that something earlier? Um, yeah, 2008. So, okay, so, so it was GFC. Yeah. 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 I guess people didn't that, – that was big. The GFC was pretty big, wasn't it? <laughs> so. Pretty much. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm using uh, at the moment eToro which uh, Facebook told me about. So it's all, all connected Interesting. here. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, I, I saw some sponsored posts on Facebook, which we're all getting now, and they, they have a clever way of doing it, eToro. They put on your Facebook timeline, uh, did you know, like Netflix is up 300% on the year. You know, did invest in Netflix for as little as $50 entry, you know, eToro. And I remember you said you knew eToro, like you had looked at them years ago when they were a currency trading platform or something different. I don't know. Yeah, there was something different. I remember coming across them and then and going and thinking they're not exactly what I was after. I was after more, you know, direct algorithmic trading, direct market access type mm. stuff. But yeah, I came across them and they certainly weren't what they are now. Yeah, I'm still trying to get my head around it, to be honest. The, it's, it's being presented as a social stock trading platform, which I like the idea of that. It's using crowd, like you know, we were talking a lot about crowd lately, to pick what are good investments to make. And one of the things you can do is follow other investors. In fact, you can tick a box to say, just do the exact same investments that these guys do. <laughs> you know, If you really want a hands-off process, you look at who's trading really well. Like you can look at the actual up or down that a person's experiencing and over what time frame, and then go, this guy's really good. He's gained 300% in the last three months. Uh, tick a box and follow him. Of course, he could just die or get bored of stock trading or whatever. So it's always always a risk in always this. But a risk. what I find interesting, or I want, what I still can't get my head around, it's I don't know if it's just because I haven't unlocked something, but they I'm only getting a very small selection of stocks and um, currencies as well as gold, silver, and is one other thing to trade in. It's like a very very small selection, uh, which is good in the sense that I'm not getting overwhelmed with my options but not so good in the sense that so you're using the wisdom of the crowd but you're only allowing people to invest in 30 different potential stocks it's kind of skews the results to those stocks so well the thing I, I discovered with my stock trading in my stock trading experience you, you do really want to focus on a group of companies that you know well um, because uh, I'm sure you know if uh, just before Apple brings out a new phone, um, it, it'll affect their share price based on what the expectation is for that phone and, and things like that. You'll get opportunities like that maybe once or twice a year and you can make a lot of money um, and lose a lot of money, of course, uh, on, on those sort of trades. But a lot of those big trades come because you have some bigger knowledge of the companies and the industries in that space. And uh, if you just try and make money off the stock market in any company, then that's that's a recipe for losing money very, very quickly. Unless you know what you're doing, um, you're better off to focus on one particular industry. And I think that that might be what they're trying to do with eToro. So you don't get confused. You have a very tight focus mm. and uh, you can get more background on the actual companies you're investing in. Perhaps, and I definitely do need to do a bit more homework, but my main reason for just jumping on eToro because it did allow me a, a simple platform to put some money in Facebook. That, that was 
I guess it kind of backs up what you're saying. I, I have a lot of exposure to Facebook uh, as a, a business, and also I'm seeing so many of my peers use their advertising platform. I mean, you know, when everyone's talking about you know Facebook ads and not pay, uh, you know Google ads anymore, that's a trend that that's heading in a different direction. So. Uh, obviously, you've got to look at the numbers and on how much money Facebook is making, but they they bounced back fairly well from that initial dip that they had when they floated. So, um, it's fun. <laughs> the, you know, the great thing about it too is I'm not putting in a hundred grand. You know, I'm putting in I, I put in a hundred dollars to begin with just to see how the, the platform worked to play around with it. I think I've got fifteen hundred invested right now. Uh, the ironic thing about that is I was up like two percent, which made thirty dollars <laughs> across my entire uh, portfolio. <laughs> of course, though, when we just recently had a little dip because of all this craziness happening in the American government and all these tech stops dropped, uh, they, they flipped the other way around. I was up two percent and then down four percent. I was only down like forty dollars. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, that's the yeah, <laughs> upside downside. It's not too bad, but it's it's a learning experience to to do this. And I think. Um, you know, I've invested in stocks in the past, and I, I went through a crazy period during the dot-com boom where I had a little bit of money, not much, you know, two or $3,000 to my name, you know, year 1999, 2000, and that sort of thing. And I made some crazy choices to invest in some stocks, just purely it's gambling. It was basically gambling. Uh, and I didn't have, I think, the uh, emotional fortitude for it either because it was such a, a wild ride. I remember there was this stock called Jumbo Mall, which was an Australian online shopping mall that that was their uh their pitch to the world and they 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 floated and they did well i put some money in it like i think i don't know it was a one of those very low volume stocks unless you got in the news and what happened was i i made a bit of money it's like i think it went from a thousand dollars to 1500 which for me at the time was a lot of money and then the y2k rollover was about to happen so, you know, there was a lot of what's going to happen. We don't really know. My stockbroker went on holiday to Malaysia to a big party at the Malaysian airport to celebrate the millennium. And he wasn't around to hold my hand over this Y2K changeover, right? So I didn't know what to do. I got a little bit afraid. I ended up selling my stock. I think, I'm, you know, it was like $1.20 um, and I was up. Uh, I may have made $400, which was still good on my, my initial $1,000 investment or whatever it was. And then Y2K rolls over, nothing happens, stocks just balloon. And my $1,000 would have been like $15,000 if I just not gotten afraid from you know, the potential. And for me, that was like how much money I made in a year at the time. So I was a little bit, little bit upset <laughs> about my bad decision making. But it was completely random. You know? it, just, it was gambling. I'm a 20-year-old kid just playing around and... Yeah, I made a lot of other crazy investments during that time. So I think now the opportunity to at least invest in things you use, like I'm looking at what I know about Facebook. Um, I use Netflix a lot. Do you use Netflix, Walter? Love Netflix. Absolutely love it. So you're using it. It's funny being Australians because we technically don't have a Netflix in this country yet. We have to pretend to be Americans. Yes, that's right. We're technically Americans. <laughs> well, I'm Canadian, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so you know, I'm using it. I, I think the model they're pioneering is amazing. And you know what? I'd love to talk about that model, Walter. I've got it on our to talk about list, but we've actually already been talking about things for half an hour. <laughs> wow, that, that, that goes quick. So um, Actually, just, uh, just before we cut off yeah a uh, couple of things if anyone's interested in share trading then definitely start off with something like one thousand two thousand dollars and do very very small trades and just 
or even if you want a paper trade, uh, just so you see, you get a feel for what it's like. Um, because once you do start playing with the proper online platforms and you get into things like CFDs, which are contract for differences, where you can start uh, basically leveraging other people's money, mm -hmm. you, uh, yeah, the upsides and the downsides are a lot bigger. Which is what you went through with, with your period, right? The leveraging. And I know eToro actually does have leveraged uh, trading as a possibility. Um, I have not got into that. I do, not, I do not, not understand the platform well enough to be throwing in leverage behind my money. So. Exactly. And then you should Then you should definitely get up to speed with knowing what you're doing before yes. you do anything. And you can do, as you called it, paper trading or, or they just called it uh, demo trading, I think. So yeah. if you want to just go play with that, the downside of that, you know, you could put a hundred grand in and suddenly be up 50 grand and go, oh, it's not real. Yeah. Or the reverse could happen. You could be like, phew. <laughs> so, <laughs> gambling. Um, Walter, anything else to throw in? Because we, you know, this, our list is growing each time we do these calls of things to talk about, but uh, half an hour just flies by. It does. No, I think um, if anyone's listening to this, I mean, I've got 10 years worth of experience in, uh, well, I'm a serial entrepreneur, so um, I've done some data analysis for banks, uh, had my own software company, um, started a game company, um, running mobile games. Um, I was in the games industry for a few years, so you know, ask ask me questions. How do you go from a job to contracting? And well, let's save it, Walter, because I know we want to talk about that a lot. And you know, we've got next week. There's a lot of weeks still left to talk. So um, we have on our list to talk about things like how to move from a job to freelancing to entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. We want to talk about what what is passive income. Uh, I know we've headed down this investment sort of channel with, with the stock trading a little bit here, and I'd love to talk more about uh, angel funding and startup funding as well. Um, I've done a little bit of that. And I'd love actually to talk about the Netflix model too. I, I, I really think that's, you know, Netflix, Spotify, uh, a lot of different things, even some of the uh, education platforms. We're talking too much, Walter, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> but you know, education platforms are, are changing the model of, Instead of buying what you want, you pay a, a fee for all-you-can-eat buffet style, which is an interesting change, I think, to, to media and consumption as well. So we want to talk about all these things, lots of interesting subjects. Uh, but the Walter and Yarrow show has to end here because we're trying to keep them to half an hour so you guys can listen to us while you're on the bus, in the car, uh, walking to school, whatever you're doing, and uh, get just a little bit of entertainment slash education uh, in this world of tech and entrepreneurship. So, Walter, thank you for joining me again today and look forward to speaking to you next week. Thank you, Aaron. Likewise. Hopefully, we can cover some of those topics in our next show. And as I said at the beginning, please give us some feedback on A, what we talked about. Are you enjoying this? We'd love to hear from you. And also, what name do you think we should call our show? So far, it's the Walter and Yarrow Show, which is... Uh, I, I would like to put myself first in that, but I'm, I'm being gracious to Walter. Thank you, Eric. Um, Much appreciated. <laughs> and uh, we'd like a new name. So go to my blog where I post these podcast episodes and leave a comment telling us, do you like them? And what should we name our show? Thank you very much for listening. My name is Yarrow. That's a cue. And my name's Walter. <laughs> You'll get this soon, Walter. Very. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you on a future episode. Bye-bye.